You're listening to The New Unfiltered. My name is Alexa Curtis, and maybe you know me from my former show on Radio Disney, Fearless Every Day, or my past podcast that helped me land my Disney show, This Is Life Unfiltered. Well, I'm back with a new show, and it's a little bit different because I'm encouraging you to call in and leave me a voicemail every week with what you're dealing with, and I'm going to help you overcome it. So call 909-979-3291 and leave me a voicemail with what you're dealing with. Maybe it's about business, friendships, relationships, or even school. And if I can't help, I'll bring in an expert who can. So once again, call me at 909-979-3291 and let's talk. Hey guys, this is Alexa Curtis, and you are listening to The New Unfiltered. I'm really excited because this is a very, very relative topic right now, uh, which is obviously talking about the vaccine. So this is a little bit different than my past podcast for many reasons, but the number one reason is that I have uh, encouraged all of you to call in with your questions. Anything that I talk about on social media, I want to hear from you. And one of the questions that I got that I will put in right after I talk stop speaking momentarily is about the vaccine. So I am live right now in Austin, Texas. This is my first guest since uh, probably I think a year. She is fully vaccinated and I'm so excited to have Dr. Jill Grimes here. She is a fellow of the American Academy of Family Physicians. She is a super cool mom and she is currently giving about 100 vaccine shots a day at the hospital. So she is the perfect person to sit and tell us everything we want to know about the vaccine. I was wondering if maybe 30% or more of the people when the vaccine is going to come out, they're not going to take it because they believe that vaccines have a lot of harmful side effects, such as causing autism and stuff like that. Um, But there's not really any much science behind that. So, Well, I think having you talk to me about your bio and everything that makes you an expert in this field would be way better. So give me everything that you had told me right before we started recording. All right. So it all began in fifth grade when I had straight A's except for a C in handwriting. And literally my teacher pulled me aside and said, oh, Jill, don't worry. It's okay. You can be a doctor. And I thought that was kind of funny, but really it's true. My handwriting has not improved sadly in all these years, but thank goodness for typing everything now. It doesn't really matter. And so um, that sort of started me towards medicine. And in medical school, I loved every single rotation. And because I genuinely like everything, and I have a little bit of a short attention span, family medicine was perfect because we do a little bit of everything. And so I began practicing medicine. I had my own private practice. And it turned out that the one thing that I wasn't, uh, I didn't feel I was being very successful at was in educating about sexually transmittable infections, because despite talking to patients about that, um, I was still diagnosing a whole lot of them. And uh, at the same time, patients would ask me really specific questions about doctor TV dramas, like what happened with Dr. McDreamy last night and about the specific <laughs> procedure. And That's did he, funny. you know, did he, did he really do that operation <laughs> right there in the ER? And of course, no, he didn't. But that's an aside. Anyway, the point is the reason I couldn't was racking my brain for why did they remember all the details of that, but they couldn't remember basic details like, I don't know, wearing a condom, uh, using a condom. And uh, the reason is because they were invested in it. They were emotionally invested in the story. Stories are far more powerful than statistics. And so I be- decided that I needed to tell stories because 
doctors, you know, when we start hearing a story in the exam room, um, right now I'm talking about a lot of different things, but specifically right now about STDs, we start hearing this story and immediately our brains go to, uh-oh, I know what's coming here. And so I thought if we could tell those stories, maybe that would be more effective. And sure enough, I wrote a pamphlet um, for my office with one story and it was very effective. And so I was encouraged and I started writing more stories about different diseases. And ultimately, those those pamphlets all came together and formed one big story. And that was my first book, Seductive Delusions. And I thought I could, I was so naive about the whole publishing world. I thought I could just write a book and keep being a doctor and the bookstores would sell it and I would just doctor and they would sell and it would be wonderful. And oh, I would also make money off of that and and be on Oprah, um, none of which happened. And instead, it turns out that when you write a book, you need to promote it and you need to be an expert. And so I had to have media training and I started doing radio and TV spots. And really more, the most important thing I did though was just to start talking to groups, any any group that would listen, whether it was five people or five hundred, um, you know, student groups, parent groups, you name it, and just to really start a productive conversation about some awkward topics um, that expanded beyond STDs to include, you know, risks of drinking or pot or smoking, vaping, you name it, any kind of risky behavior. I'm your girl. I wish there were other people in this room to just clap for you because, number one, it is so cool to hear a mom talk so openly about this. I mean, I remember friends in high school whose moms were like everyone's OBGYN or doctors, and it was still so awkward. Like, you know, at dinners, the kids would never ask the parents. They never felt comfortable talking about it. So just huge bravo to you for feeling like you should. And as you should, I mean, it's all of these topics, birth control, sex, like everything should be talked about and no one is talking about it. So I would love to have you back to talk about all of that because I'm also fascinated by it. But you know, you're here today to talk about this vaccine. So let's talk about it. Let me ask you first, because I always like to know, and I think for other people, it can be good to know your medical experience and interest. Were you someone who was always very pro vaccine? Like were your kids always getting flu shots? Mm -hmm. Yes. So as a family physician, I am all about evidence-based medicine. And I want to do things because they work, not because we've always done them that way. Um, And so yes, Our children are fully vaccinated. I am a huge proponent of vaccines. Um, And I will tell you, my earliest memory ever of being in a hospital, I was very young and um, in in Pennsylvania with my dad visiting his uncle, his uncle, actually his great uncle. Um, My dad was raised by his grandparents, so there's (laughs) some confusion there. But anyway, it it was his great uncle and he was in an iron lung, which you may not even know what what that that is. So that is what it sounds like. It's a big giant machine that it's like a ventilator, except instead of a tube being down your throat, you've got this big giant um, canister oh my God, that all around traumatizing. you. It is, but he had polio, mm-hmm. and so you know that's that's no way to live, obviously. And so you know I, maybe that's part of why I've always you know always embraced vaccines because my parents were always my parents were not medical um but they we they, we always got vaccines and they there was no crying involved with shots because you was an honor and a privilege to be able to be vaccinated totally. to not get a disease like polio and not have to worry about your children getting that so you got shot one 
and mm-hmm. side effects. So my Tell COVID me. shot. So I received the Moderna vaccine. And full disclosure, I had COVID last summer in July. How was that? Because I still haven't had it. Hopefully yeah, now. Oh, and knock on wood. Now you will hopefully yeah. not get it. Honestly, it was pretty darn miserable. Um, I was not hospitalized. My older daughter and I both had it at the same time. We had the same exposure. We were so good. And one day we drove my husband to, um, <laughs> not my husband's fault, but we drove him to the airport, to a small airport in Colorado um, where we were. And we ran in to use a public restroom in the airport where, you know, millions of people mm-hmm. are going in and out. And we did have on cloth masks, but we did not have on medical masks because at that time yeah. in the summer, you know, we, we were all using just cloth masks. And, um, and six days later, my daughter started with a fever. She had, she had 103 fever shaking chills that did not break for over three days. And I started about 12 hours after her fever, chills. I ended up with the big cough. Both of us dropped our oxygen saturation because, of course, I had a pulse oximeter, which is the little machine that goes <laughs> on your finger. But I actually had several of them <laughs> because that's how I travel. Um, but anyway, but we, we were, we were, we basically had really severe flu symptoms. Um, I had much more cough. I, I, I didn't lose my sense of smell and taste, but I had completely altered where yeah. everything tasted like someone dumped a whole container of salt, salt, salt kind of metallic-y oh. salt. And I had that for about three weeks. Oh, my. So um, anyway, and she she had more of the fevers and everything up front and chills, and uh, she didn't have as much cough, um, and she only had altered taste just for a couple of days. But anyway, I digress. So that was six months earlier, and then I got the vaccine in January my first dose. And so I had a sore arm, which, which pretty much everybody gets 80 to 90% of people will have a sore arm. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's even true of placebo shots. Um, and then the second day though, I did have, um, a pretty significant headache and, um, a little bit of fatigue. And so I was, you know, uncomfortable for a couple of days after the first shot, but nothing, nothing overly dramatic. And then the second shot. And then the second shot, uh, again, I'm had, like on edge here. Yes, I'm like, tell me yes. <laughs> the second <laughs> shot. Everyone, we always tell people, you know, that's, that's the one if you're, if you're going to react to, but more people do react to the second one. And it's not the first day. The first day I had a very sore arm very quickly, like two, three hours after the shot, I already had a sore arm, which was um, a little surprising. Um, but a good sign. I will tell you my attitude was, yay, my body's reacting to this. My arm's already sore. So I had a good response. And then uh, the second day, though, I woke up and honestly, it knocked me out for a good 24 hours. I had a really severe headache, I had 101 fever, chills, you know, aches. But honestly, what really bothered me was the really bad headache. And then after 24 hours? And then after 24 hours, I was fine. And frankly, I should have taken Tylenol or Advil. Um, I didn't take either for a long time that day um, because... Frankly, I was academic curiosity. I'm a little bit of a nerd. And, you know, since I'm helping everybody with these vaccines, I really just kind of wanted to know what the full experience was. And I knew it wasn't harmful other than being uncomfortable. So do you think that you should get it in the opposite arm? Does that matter? No. So here's, here's my spiel about which arm to get. So... If you, I will tell you, if you, if you ask a hundred doctors, you're going to get a hundred different opinions or at least 50, 50. I because... like you though already. So I, <laughs> I only trust you now, Jill. There you go. So some people say get it in your dominant arm, which I am now team dominant arm, because the more you use it, the less it hurts the next day, mm, okay. except for the second shot, whether that's Pfizer or Moderna, 
um, because those are the ones that you have to have two shots on. And in that case, because your arm will be pretty darn sore, even if you get nothing else, almost everybody gets the pretty darn sore arm. Um, I'd say if you sleep on only one side, then I wouldn't get it on that side. Okay. So that's that's how I decide. Oh, I have so many questions. Uh, okay, let, let's go now into – so there's three different vaccines, right? There's Moderna, there's Pfizer, and then there's Johnson & Johnson, correct? Yes. How is it that one you need two shots and one you only need one shot? Well, they're completely the, – the Johnson & Johnson is a different kind of vaccine. So the Pfizer and the Moderna are the brand new type of vaccine, this messenger RNA, mRNA vaccine. And, um, and it's actually a little unusual, the, 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 the Johnson and Johnson, which I say J and J, just yeah. whatever, um, it is that, that is a different kind of vaccine. And, um, it's honestly a little surprising that the, you only need one dose, but I know it's certainly a good thing. The most question, like the biggest question I guess I've been asked is certainly, how did this happen so fast, right? Because right. I, and I mean, when Operation I, Warp Speed. Yeah, and when I saw this, I mean, it kind of made, we're in 2021, right? I mean, they literally, I can inject uh, Restylane in my lips and they become bigger. Like, I am not surprised that this 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 happened, but I think people are genuinely scared to get it because right. the science well, says rushed. 12 years for a vaccine. So tell me, I mean, is this rushed? So um, yes and no. Is it really fast? You bet. Is it safe? A hundred percent. I feel so confident in the safety of this vaccine. So here's the story. Um, no, there were no shortcuts in making this vaccine. However, the different steps got compressed and it, it took all these, it was the perfect storm. So number one, we have a disease that everyone is terrified of because we're seeing hundreds of thousands of people dying from it. So everyone is very motivated to participate in trials. So it's not any trouble at all to get large numbers of people to participate in the trial. So that's one. Number two, um, and this is not a political statement, but our government did something right, which is always good. They poured a bunch of money into this on the front end so that companies were able, you know, Pfizer and Moderna, they were able to make vaccines because they had already been given the money they were able to make vaccines and be stockpiling up those vaccines before they were ever approved so that the moment they were approved, boom, we had this huge supply, which has never happened before. Mm. Um, the trials, however, were not rushed. So in human trials for vaccines, you start off stage one is, is like 100 people. And that is super healthy people with that you, you can't be on any medicines, like they can't have any underlying conditions. That's just like the perfect healthy specimens. And, and you test it on them and you make sure that the vaccine doesn't have any bizarre effects. And then stage two, you expand that from 100 to maybe 1,000 people. And in, then you're playing with the doses and you start letting in people that, are, that maybe have high blood pressure or diabetes. Um, and so that's the second stage. And then the third stage after you've done the other is when you do, you know, as many people as possible, but often in other, other vaccine trials, you're talking about, you know, 5,000, maybe 10,000 with, with Pfizer and Moderna is just amazing because we had over 75,000 participants in those, in those last highest level of trials. And ordinarily you have to wait around for enough people in the trial. So these are blinded trials. Half the people get placebo, half the people get the real thing. Nobody, the, the, the people given the shots don't know. The people receiving the shots don't know. Nobody knows who has what, right? They're double blinded. And you have to sit around and wait for people to get the disease. 
And because COVID was so contagious and everywhere, they got the disease quickly. And so as soon as we got up to that magic number of a few hundred people actually had the disease in the study, that's when they unblinded it. And they went, oh my God, look how effective this is. Mm -hmm. It's amazing because of all the people that, of of the people that got the disease, you know, 95% um, had, had the placebo. So that, that's where we get this whole 95% efficacy. But anyway, so that's, that's what happened. And so again, no steps were left out. There was no safety hurdle that was bypassed or cut, shortcutted. Mm. It's just that it was the perfect storm of having the money up front, being able to recruit people, having enough disease around that it could get through all those things quickly. So a vaccine gives you the disease. Is that correct? So when I get the flu shot, it's giving me the flu? Um, no. No. So, um, uh, sometimes like with the flu shot, it's giving you a deactivated flu. Uh So what we do is it's a, it's a killed vaccine or deactivated vaccine, inactivated vaccine, uh, um, virus, excuse me, not vaccine. So, so you take the flu and you make it really mild and then, then you give it. And so, yeah, you get those, those flu symptoms. Um, but in this case with this, particularly with the MRNA technology that's in Moderna and Pfizer, All it is, is it's a blueprint that goes into our cells, not into our DNA, but just into the cytoplasm in our cells to our little protein factories that are called ribosomes. And it makes the spike protein, just that one little piece of of the virus of COVID-19. COVID-19 is a virus made up of about 25 proteins. The spike protein is just the dude on the outside that we've seen the picture of that helps it attach to cells and enter cells. So... We all we're doing is we're using our own bodies as factories to manufacture that one protein, and that's what is going to help us be protected. And the variants. So how does that? Because I mean, when I was thinking about whether or not to get this, and I mean, I don't find myself to be conservative, even though I now live in Texas. I am like I'm. I would say I'm pretty anti-vaccine. I just am. I, I never. But I had the HPV vaccine, all of that stuff. But I just don't usually get the flu shot. I guess I'm just anti-flu shot. Maybe mm-hmm. not anti-vaccine. But that being said, the more research that started coming out about these variants is kind of what started me freak, freaking me out. So does this? vaccine that I got. I got the Pfizer one. We'll get my second shot in two weeks. Mm -hmm. Does that cover every variant? Well, we don't know yet. We don't know. We don't know yet. But um, the the Johnson & Johnson vaccine actually was tested when variants were already out there Mm -hmm. and it was tested partly in Africa. And so we know that that it does, that one does well against them. We have no reason, and it, it's also making the spike protein in a different way, but yeah. it's, it's the same thing. So we have every reason to believe that, that our vaccines will still be protective. And remember, all we want to do is knock COVID down to being a cold. Yeah. We're not, we don't need to eliminate it. We just need to eliminate it from putting people in the hospital. I remember when this first started happening last like April, my brother-in-law mm-hmm. lives in Turkey and he's um, very like successful pharmaceutical family. And he said, this will kind of transform into the next flu. Would you agree with that? COVID is just going to be like the next flu that people every you know year may get and, sick with that. Well, I think that it's going to be the next flu in that I do think we're going to end up with kind of an annual vaccine yeah. against it because it when it evolves enough that if the variants evolve enough that that the vaccine isn't as effective, we'll need a, a booster. So I think it's true that way. It's, um, I'll tell you, when this first came out, 
uh, last year in you know February was really kind of when we were first starting yeah. to talk about it here. I was I, I was rolling my eyes with the best of them. I'm like, come on, people. It's a coronavirus. These things are, you know, it's a coronavirus. It's just a cold virus. And I just really wasn't that worried about it. But what I didn't get was even though 80 to 85% of the disease is mild, most people, I mean, I got sicker than most people will get with it. But what I didn't get is because it spreads so quickly, it takes you get so many people sick that 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 tiny that ten percent that gets severe disease, it, it builds up to a big enough number really quickly. And most ICUs in most hospitals, like a big hospital, might have thirty ICU beds, and you know, so thirty people yeah. using up all your ICU beds ties up the hospital. And that's that was the piece I didn't get at first. But that's so we we. That's the, that's what the vaccines are for. They, you know, we don't want to, we also don't want to die, but I mean, you know, it, it's, we're trying to, to just knock it down to a, to a flu equivalent. It's good to hear a doctor say that because I think everyone thinks that this vaccine will eradicate it and we will not all become it, but it's not, it doesn't seem like that's what we're looking at here. I, I don't think that's no. going to be possible. Mm -mm. Oh, interesting. So from your experience and obviously being in the hospital throughout this time, should people be on edge now for the rest of their lives that, Every 20 years, there's going to be something like this. And on top of that, my other question would be, will the effectiveness of how quickly the world is able to pull together this vaccine, should that make people, their nerves calm down as yes. God forbid in 10 years, there's maybe something worse than this. We're able to get a vaccine out in a year. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I can't tell you how excited I am about this new, the, the new technology for the vaccines because it's, it's producing a cleaner vaccine. There's like five ingredients in it. We don't have to worry about egg allergies. We don't have to worry about all kinds of things because it's, it's you know, we're smart enough now yeah. to use our own cell mechanisms. It's so cool. And and I I truly think it's people should be encouraged. The amount of cooperation across the world in different medical communities is staggering. And, you know, medicine, academics, there's egos. There's some really big egos. Mm -hmm. But- People put their egos aside and it wasn't that my institution is going to, you know, my medical school is going to come up with the best vaccine. Mm -mm. Everyone, everyone just worked together. It was really amazing. So I'm very encouraged. I, do I think there'll be another pandemic at some point? Yeah, I do. Really? I, I mean, yeah, we've always had pandemics. I mean, I hope it's not for much longer than 20 years, mm -hmm. but it certainly could be. But I'm, I am very encouraged that now we have such different preparedness now and, you know, all the simple stuff of we, we didn't even have masks and all the confusion about masks when all that first came out, you know, we've, we've ironed out a lot of things. So well, that leads me into my next question is I am like obsessed with masks now when I go to a restaurant and I see mm -hmm. like, no one should ever be, I sound like a narcissist and I'm not, but I hope people will back me up on this. No one should ever be in a kitchen cooking someone food without, it's disgusting. You know, I, I think most of us have kind of gotten Do there now. Do you think now. so? Because yeah. people are so anti-mask still. And I'm like, oh my God, think of how gross the world was. I, really? I know. I, it just, it seems, you know, we worried about hair nets. Yeah. And, and okay. I mean, yes. I mean, hair nets, especially for those of us with longer hair, that's important, but think about, you know, coughing and sneezing and just breathing. Like, that's grosser. So, Come yeah, September, should everyone keep wearing masks once everyone's vaccinated or no? I think, I don't, I don't know what the date is going to be when people stop wearing masks. I will tell you that as I've done these immunizations, 
in you know these huge yeah. huge settings so many people mostly older people have said i can't believe like it's just not that big of a deal i'm going to wear a mask whenever i'm in a big you know, a huge public thing because I haven't been sick. I mean, think about it. How many people do you know that got a stomach bug this year? Totally. Like no no one. one. We saw so much less strep, ear infections, stomach bugs. I mean, like, because, because we're hand washing, we're actually cleaning surfaces, commonly touched surfaces like doorknobs and such. And we're wearing masks and that stops all the respiratory transmission. So you agree that you would, if you were in a big crowd in December, say next January, everyone's vaccinated or 90% of people would you go to a restaurant and still wear a mask? Would you go to a festival and still wear a mask? You know, I I think what we're going to see is outdoors. I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, you know, I think we're going to be better about not cramming people in quite so tight in stadiums and such. But I think I think outdoor things like a like an amusement park, say Disney, for example. Yeah. I, I think probably that we're not going to need to have masks there because it's more outdoors. Um, do I think it's a bad idea to wear a mask? No, I mean, I, think it's, I, don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal personally, but um, but I don't, I don't think that's always going to be necessary. In restaurants, it's hard because, you know, you always have people eating. Sure. And so people, people are not going to consistently wear masks in that setting. And I, and I, I don't really know that that's necessary. And I'm, I'm, I am, I mean, I am so much more comfortable myself being fully immunized, even though I had it and should have had some immunity. I feel so much better knowing that I am fully immunized and our, our whole family is yeah. and our, our, my husband and I, our parents, so the grandparents of our kids are all in heaven. So we're not, we're not worrying about exposing totally. anyone that basically everyone in our circle is immunized right now. Which is the biggest risk factor for young people is bringing yep. that, is bringing exactly. it home. I am at this point still, I have no clue, Jill, the only one in my friend group from literally every friend of mine in every part of the world who hasn't had COVID. And many of my friends are either thinking they don't want to get the vaccine because they already had it. So they're probably not going to get it. Not not many, but I would say 50%. Yeah. Or I've got some other friends who are like, uh, I'm going to get the first shot and not the second shot. So give me your opinions on both. Yeah. So I definitely still think people need it after getting COVID. Um, we we just last week, there was a, a study that came out done on um, healthcare workers in California. And it is very encouraging in terms of something that was not measured during the initial trials was whether or not after you've received the vaccine, can you still transmit it? And that's part of the whole discussion with masks these days. Um, It really looks like you probably don't transmit it very much, if at all, um, after after you've been fully immunized. And um, so... You know, I, that's one reason to get immunized. So fully, not just the first shot. Right. And I, we don't want to just do one shot right now. There's, there's debate about whether or not to only do one shot when you've had COVID and that, you know, I, I think that's, there's room for discussion on that for sure. We don't have any answers yet. Um, I certainly am not going to take any chances when I am directly interfacing with huge numbers of people on the daily, um, through my job, but, um, but I, that that may be a thing in the future. I don't know. But for right now, I want everyone fully immunized. What we don't want is we don't want to give the variants 
a chance to infiltrate in. Mm-hmm. And I think the more of us that are fully immunized, the less chance of that there is. And even if you get that one shot, you're considered fully immunized or the two that's, but what, what is, what? So, so yeah. by fully, sorry, by fully immunized, I mean two shots of Pfizer or Moderna mm-hmm. or one shot of the J and J. So if anyone is really just super saying that they only want to get one, you know, what's I ho- the effectiveness? Do you know of, of just one out of the two? So we we don't have we don't have enough data to go along on it. Um, they're they're actually still pretty effective. Yeah. Um, but but we don't know how long the immunity is going to last. Mm-hmm. And you know, looking at the past history of all the vaccines, I mean, there, we have boosters for a reason. It really it extends your immunity much much longer. It's so, so that's interesting. Yeah, because there's part of it that even when I listen to you is like. I hate to say it, but it really seems like such a personal decision because it's like intent, not even about, you know, something as simple, I guess not as simple as like get one out of the two versus get both because it just seems like in 10 years, you know, who's willing to risk waiting the 10 years to see what the research comes out versus the people who aren't. So I feel like I can understand people being on the border about things like that, but also the effect, like it just makes sense that you should get to. And there's just the, I'm what I struggle with is is what's the downside of yeah. getting a second one? Yeah, gonna, I don't know. So you're gonna have you're gonna you might be sick for a day. There's nothing compared to having COVID. Yeah, and you don't. I mean, you know, it's Russian roulette. You know, who who knows? Are you going to be the one that the young healthy people do end up on ventilators? Yeah, and you don't want to be that one. That's for sure. No, and you don't know. So you don't know with nope. any of it. So uh, so let me ask you. I first want to know. Um, you know, long term. That fear that is still like even in my ear about like going to get the second one is in 10 years, do you suspect there will be research that like is saying this vaccine gives people cancer or absolutely not? And you know that with I know it as much as I can know. I mean, that is a very educated, informed opinion. It is my opinion. But I had zero hesitation in our daughters getting immunized. Yeah. You know, there are some crazy myths out there. Maybe we should talk about. Yes, that. we're gonna get into that next. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm certainly curious on like, you know, the, when but, people are so scared. What are, what are people scared of? Like, what what are people telling you that scares them? So one of the big things that uh, the, several things have been circulated um, by by anti-vax groups, and one of the first ones was about that there were microchips being put in in the vaccine, which is- You have to is, laugh. I'm, I know I'm you sorry. don't want to laugh. I know. If you're watching this and you think that, I don't think I'm the right person for you to follow online. Well, that, well I, I want to say there's there's a reason that that happened. So I'm, I'm laughing because if you could see the needle, like there, there is no microchip small enough that can fit through this teeny when tiny needle. When I got needle. it, it's just like the tiniest needle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's longer, but it's super skinny. And the skinny is the important part to make it not hurt. But um, anyway, so, but the, here's, here's the thing. So the Bill Gates Foundation, mm-hmm. um, which is very big into worldwide vaccinations, they are, they have in development something I think is super cool. And it is a microscopic tattoo. So it, that when you get a vaccine, basically there would be a microscopic mark on you that could be read with an iPhone that says, hey, you have this vaccine. I mean, do you know when your last tetanus vaccine was? 
I don't know when my last one was. I mean, I do have it written down or stored somewhere, but you know, it's not a bad idea. I wouldn't personally be opposed to that, but that's actually just in development. It's in development for third world countries is to, to facilitate trying to figure out who all is vaccinated and who isn't. I think it's brilliant, but it's called like a micro dot or something like that. But that's where this whole like, oh, they're putting microchips in you and they're going to, they're going to monitor you. No, it was a read only just a, like, like literally like an ink dot. You know, mm-hmm. so that's where that one came from. Um, the other thing a lot of people are asking me about, uh, because I have a daughter of two yeah. daughters of childbearing age, um, is can it make you sterile? And I honestly, I, I couldn't even figure out how anyone could come up with that. What you need to understand about these, these mRNA vaccines is everyone knows like about the, how cold they have to be stored, particularly the Pfizer that has to be the crazy sure. low thing. They have to be stored at these low temperatures because the mRNA is so fragile, it it like disappears. And so even when we get it inside of us, even when it's been properly stored, you know, we have to thaw the vaccines and we have to use them within six hours. We give them to people. They don't last in our bodies very long. They last hours to maybe a day. And then, you know, as soon as soon as our bodies are done making the little spike protein, it, it's it's done and the and the, it's gone. So like the thought of there being long-term consequences from this, I was worried about it when it first came out um, because people with autoimmune disease tend to mm-hmm. overreact. And um, I thought, well, if you, you know, how long do you keep making the spike protein? Because if you, if you were to keep making something just perpetually on and on and on, and you were firing up your immune system over and over and over, if you have autoimmune disease, that would not be a good thing. But we're taught, it's like a day. So I, I can't even, it's hard for me to even imagine how there could medically possibly be long-term complications from it. I'm going to sound like an imbecile, but to confirm, I'm going to assume sterile means not being able to get pregnant? Yes. It does. Okay. okay. Yes. Woo, yes. I'm smart and I didn't go to college, Jill. There That's what go. I thought because I actually have a friend who's very conservative, refuses to get the vaccine because she wants to have a child via IVF. And you would say to her, get the vaccine? Yes. Interesting. You're, okay. you're, well, you're at more risk of COVID, the disease impairing your fertility because, you know, because you got yeah. really sick from it or whatever, and you ended up on a ventilator and died than, than from this vaccine. I'm just, I mean, there's, there's no risk of sterility in boys or girls, men or women. Where did she from come this up vaccine. with that then? So uh, honestly, I actually just read recently that there, there, was some somebody confused it with another protein in the body that helps the placenta attach and it, which is it's that's like saying your hair is really similar to your fingernail like they're not it, it was just something that sounded the same i hate but, to say it but social media yes. is the worst in this particular year because there are not enough of you out there and there's just too much Craziness. I bet you've seen it too. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. people are coming into, I don't know if people always came into you asking you about like Grey's Anatomy and if like you can compare them. Uh, but, but the access, especially for these young people mm-hmm. and everything they're seeing, it's like, wh- I mean, where do you get your source of news? Well, and I, I get some of mine online as well, but I get mine from the American Academy of Family Physicians, I, New England Journal of Medicine. You know, I try and go with truly evidence-based medicine, which means peer reviewed and not just not just opinions and not just somebody who tried something. Okay, good. So let's back up a sec. I want to cover everything in order. So number one, you should get both vaccines because there's no part in just getting one. You should get both. Okay. 
It will not make you be unable to have a child, man or a woman. <laughs> it does not affect your fertility at all. There are no microchips. Bill Gates will not be showing up in my dreams if I get this, telling me to buy the next Apple Watch, correct? He might show up in your <laughs> dreams, but not because of the vaccine. Maybe he's already there. <laughs> you just um, don't know these things. You just don't know. And, and overall, the side effects, there are, I mean, in the long term, very, it doesn't make any sense why there would be any. Right. I mean, it may, all the side effects, I, I really want to clarify this. When people talk about side effects of vaccines, we talk about the side effect of a sore arm or fever chills. Those are not side effects. Those are effects. Those mm-hmm. are, that is what we're going for. We are going for our body's inflammatory response. And when our body fights an infection, that's, that's what creates fever and aches and all these things. And so that's not really a side effect. It's just a reaction and it's a reaction that we want and expect. And overall, if you've had COVID, you should still get the vaccine. Yes. Yeah. Right now, I mean, you know, that I, I think the only thing that's in debate there that is if people had very significant symptomatic COVID, there there is still there is ongoing discussion about should they only get one vaccine? Would they be protected enough? And but really, the discussion is only there because we have limited amount of vaccine. Yeah. If we had unlimited, and so they're saying let's let's save their second dose to give to somebody who wouldn't get it otherwise. But honestly, in the next six months, we're going to have enough for everybody. And really in the next just a few months, we're going to have enough for everybody. And so that, that that's going to take away most of that discussion. And additionally, I want to back up to a point you said that I found to be very interesting is you're suggesting that in the medical world, being able to produce a vaccine this quickly, like this was coming, this is not it happened to be now, but this was what they were planning for a long time in the studies and, you know, doing and doing giving it to everyone at first. What are those called? The the cases, the, the, fa- the phases, the, the phases, the, the, the trial phases, because everyone's phase so scared as this two. happened so fast, but right. it seems like this could have happened anyway. How fast? Well, I mean, it couldn't. It, I mean, again, it was the perfect storm because you had the, the money up front. But you had the a really serious pandemic that you, that every so you got enough human volunteers mm-hmm. and massive amounts of human volunteers immediately, and then you had large amounts of disease. So you had to have all of those three things at the same time, or this could never have happened. Got and it. you had to have the decade of development ahead of time. Got it. Okay, so we really then should be prepared for the future. I, I feel like we're. I'm very optimistic looking forward. And and some of these. Concepts of like, why are people asymptomatic? Why did my sister not get it when her nanny got it and none of the kids got it and they live in the same household? Mm-hmm. Do we know when that research will come out? I mean, have has any has any doctor told you like, why are people asymptomatic? Do we know? Believe me, there are so many people asking that and looking into it because you're exactly right. You have two people who are on paper are like identical and one ends up in a hospital or dies. And the other one literally has like, you know, a runny nose or nothing. And we don't know why yet. I think, I think the answer is going to be in little genetic variations where, you know, genetic medicine is a whole nother topic, but there's, we all have lots of little different mutations and deletions in our, our own personal DNA code that make us more and less likely to have certain things. And I think the answer is going to be there and maybe may have something to do with receptors in our nose or, you know, who knows, but since it's a respiratory one, one would assume it's something, something about 
the barrier system. I know. Uh, okay, that's good to know because I've been trying to figure that part out too. I think everyone is. Uh, yeah. So it's it's good. I feel great overall way more clear on just absolutely everything. So I am I'm so thrilled. Uh, tell me where I mean where can people get this book? Where can people find you online or on any you know TV shows, other podcasts? Like because you are so cool. I mean I want to be I want to be your you. friend. But there seriously, you and you, and you, you say this in such a genuine and honest way, and I really appreciate that everything you've said well thank you so much i, I i'm officially adopting you so. <laughs> oh my god Jill, you're you so go. sweet thank you no so, no but really give me the I, spiel yeah so um i i across social media it's jill grimes md so my website's jillgrimesmd.com my twitter handle is jillgrimesmd my instagram that i need to be more active on is jillgrimesmd <laughs> and that's it and um uh my daughter calling <laughs> <laughs> and, and the books and and the books um are uh, i always would start at your local bookstore because we want to support our local bookstores we love that we've got book people here in austin mm-hmm. um and they're starting to open back up but you can also order stuff online and then of course it's on amazon it's actually walmart and target online they're also um any any book literally store. everywhere how cool go. how my my doctor growing up didn't have a <laughs> didn't have a book. So you are just the coolest. Thank you so much. I don't think there's anything I didn't ask you. Are there any other questions that come to your mind that your patients have asked you or people you've administered the vaccine to? Yeah, I'm just going to bring up two other things really yeah. quickly about the vaccine that are lesser known, but um, can be scary and don't need to be. Number one is when you get the vaccine, some people, and it's it, it's really not that common. I don't know what the exact percentage is, but some people will get um, swollen lymph nodes under their armpit or up above their collarbone on the side that they get the shot. Mm. And so for women, women who are old enough to be getting mammograms, we actually ask them to hold off on mammograms for two months because you don't want that to, to show up as a false positive on a, on a mammogram. So, but that's just, that means that you have a very excitable, um, uh, immune system. And it got so excited, just like when you get strep throat and you get the big swollen glands uh-huh. in the front of your neck, this is the same kind of thing. So you get the shot. Why? Because on one the side. vaccine like attacked the, the lymph node? No, no. The vaccine, you know, your body is responding to it. Your got body. It. Okay. And, and when our body's responding, the local subway stations for our lymph, you know, which is our, our lymph nodes there, they, they just get inflamed. So that's one. A second one, you may have heard of something called COVID arm. And this mm-hmm. is a really curious thing where you get the vaccine. Um, you may have you probably you know had your sore arm. You may or may not have had any other symptoms, headache or whatever. That disappears after a couple of days. And then like day five to eight, you, you're showering or whatever. And you look down at your arm and there's a red spot where you got your vaccine. And it may not, it doesn't hurt. Um, it may itch or it may not itch at all. And it's usually about uh, an area about the size of your palm. And it's just a red splotch, basically. And it shows up. It's there for about three days. And then it disappears. And this is just a delayed hypersensitivity, um, kind of an allergic reaction type of thing. It doesn't mean you're allergic to the vaccine, but it's it's in that family of allergic reactions. So again, it's not an allergy to the vaccine. It's not a reason to not get your second shot. People who get COVID arm with the first one do not typically get it with the second one. Um, it's just, it's just a little bonus. Symptom. My friend, my friend got that on the arm. I was also told I do get like chin filler and lip filler. And I was told just, yeah. not to get that now anymore because apparently people who had filler within six months can react poorly to it. 
Did you hear about that? Yeah. And it's a, it's it's another kind of hypersensitivity sort of But you of would thing. agree but to yeah, hold off on yeah, that Yeah, I would stuff. agree to hold off on that. I love my chin fillers. I'm really sad about that, but I know, Jill, you're probably like, why are you getting chin fillers? Are you you're out of your beautiful. mind? I know, I know, but I really, that's like the you're one fearless. thing that I'm like obsessed with. Not like obsessed, that's a bad word. I'm going to edit that out. But I do, I do like, I do like it in very minor amounts. Um, but that is good. Okay, so good to know that all of those things are like very normal and especially that, that red spot is. Yeah, and the COVID arm... We do know the instance of that. It's supposed to be about 1.5% of people. I think it's probably higher, closer to like 5% just based on the number of people that I have seen who told me they had it and showed me their pictures of their arm. But like when you get the flu shot, you don't get that. No. It's so just why this? I don't know. You don't know. But that's okay. <laughs> but I think my biggest question is like, it's okay that you don't know and yeah. you're the doctor. Yeah I'm, yeah. I'm completely comfortable with that. It's just, you know, our, again, our immune system is responding to something and everybody's just a little bit different. different. And okay. why does one person get eczema and the other one doesn't? Mm, interesting. I, you know, it's just, and it's not harmful and it doesn't, doesn't do anything else. Okay. I feel, I feel a lot better. Um, thank you again so much, everyone. JillGrimesMD.com. This is the ultimate college student health handbook. I assume you're going to work on an ultimate COVID guide handbook or like <laughs> beating the pandemic at some point. Thank you so much for being here. And, uh, Follow The New Unfiltered on social media at, at The New Unfiltered, as well as my personal social media, which is at Alexa underscore Curtis. And I will also put the phone number that you can call into in the bio of every episode so that you will know where to leave your questions about literally anything. And if you haven't RSVP'd for the May Vanderbilt Summit, you can do that directly on BeFearlessSummit.org. Thank you. Thank you. 